0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you have a Bible, we'll go to the book of Luke, chapter 6, and try to secure things from the wind as much as we can. Wind is a picture of the Holy Spirit, so let's go with that. Um, We are in a series called First Allegiance, and we're talking about what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus in the midst, oh my gosh, in the midst of a politically polarized moment. Uh, We do love our country, and we're grateful that we get to live here, but before we're Americans, we are Christians first. And so we're walking through 10 commitments for living on earth as citizens of the kingdom of God. Uh, These 10 commitments of first allegiance are worship, love of neighbor, image of God, biblical wisdom, fruitful speech, humble learning, removing the log, biblical justice, peacemaking, and loving our enemies. And those commitments are listed out at a giant document as you entered uh, the space today. And the opportunity is still there for you to sign your name to this commitment. Uh, If you haven't done that yet, you can do that today. Uh, Today, we're looking at the fifth commitment of our first Allegiance initiative, the commitment of fruitful speech, which we have uh, described this way, that I commit to engage in political discourse with speech that's marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience... Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruitful speech. Because we all know that it's possible to be right in the wrong way, isn't it? And our question today then is, how does our faith in Jesus not only shape the way that we view the world, but also the ways in which we hold those views and more specifically, the ways we communicate those views to others. If you uh, had the wonderful privilege of viewing the first presidential debate a couple weeks ago, I'm guessing like me, you watched that and thought, now there's a great example of fruitful speech. Such a classy and clear conversation. Like, I'm just so torn, I don't know who to vote for, they both seem so great. Right? Are we all kind of on the same page with that? No, it was unwatchable, wasn't it? Two old white men yelling at each other, interrupting each other, smearing each other's character, and if that's what presidential dialogue looks like, then no wonder our social media feeds look the way they do. How we vote matters, how we see the world matters, public policy matters, but how we speak also matters. It matters to Jesus. So our teaching today comes from Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. And he's describing the distinguishing marks in the life and character of his true disciples. And he says that one of those marks of discipleship has to do with the words that come out of our mouths. So I'm a person who... A large part of what I do for a living has to do with words, has to do with speaking. And then that's a dangerous thing. The book of Proverbs chapter 10 says that the more you speak, the more likely you are to sin, which I have found to be true. My words have indeed gotten me into trouble at times because words matter. But That's not just true for me as a pastor. It's actually true for all of us. And the way Jesus puts it in this teaching is that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And in the world that we live in, speech, as we know, isn't just about the words we say with our mouths, but it's also about the words that we type and post and text and comment and tweet. And so when we talk about committing to speech that is fruitful... We're talking about all those things, the words. And this is a really big deal, because sometimes I know I'm careless with my words, in real life or online, thinking that it's not that big of a deal. But apparently to Jesus, the words that we produce are a big deal, and here's why. Because our words reveal the content of our hearts. And that's a big deal to Jesus. So in this passage, Jesus uses a very simple metaphor to help us understand just how important our words are. And the metaphor is an easy one. It's fruit growing on a fruit tree. And the picture is that if your life is a tree, the words that you produce are the fruit that is growing on the tree that is your life. It's a simple idea. So if you're looking at a tree and you're wondering, I wonder what kind of tree that is, the easiest way to figure out is to look at the fruit that's growing on it. And if it's growing apples, most likely you're looking at an apple tree. And if you thought it was an apple tree, but you get closer and you realize that it's actually growing peaches, then no matter how much it looked like an apple tree at first glance, it's probably not. It's most likely A peach tree, because the fruit tells us really plainly what kind of tree we're dealing with. And so Jesus is teaching that just like the fruit on a tree reveals what kind of tree it is, our words reveal what kind of person we are. In other places in the Gospels, Jesus uses this same metaphor. And he uses it to warn his disciples against false teachers. He told them that there were going to be people going around claiming to represent him, claiming to be his followers, or claiming to be his ministers. And Jesus says, judge the tree by its fruit. Listen to the words of these teachers, prophets, leaders, whoever they are. Listen to the words that come out of their mouths. And if their words don't sound like my words, then no matter what they look like, the fruit proves that they don't know me. And so Jesus identified that as a potential problem back in the day. And what's great is thankfully we live in a day where that's no longer an issue for us. Thankfully we live in a time where Everybody that we hear on the radio or see on TV or read online who claims to be representing a Christian point of view, thankfully we can just take that at face value and assume that they really are speaking on behalf of Jesus. Like we don't have to wonder if maybe they're misrepresenting Christ in any way or maybe we don't have to worry that maybe they've hijacked Christianity for a political agenda Thankfully, we don't have to deal with that, right? It's really nice. No, I would argue that we're living in the midst of a major case of identity theft. Have you ever had your identity stolen? I have several times. Recently, somebody was pretending to be me sending emails out to a bunch of people asking for Walmart gift cards. Thank you for those of you that provided those. Um, Maybe somebody got a hold of your credit card number and went around to places you'd never go buying things you would never buy. Maybe somebody hacked into a social media account and started posting things you would never post or saying things in a way that you would never say them. I would argue that we are living in a time when Jesus' identity has been stolen and there's lots of people going around and I'm not even going to try to describe where those people are on a socio-political spectrum because there's, they are everywhere. Lots of people going around claiming the name of Jesus but they're doing things Jesus would never do, saying things Jesus would never say in a way Jesus would never say them. And so Jesus warns his disciples both then and now to watch out. To be on the lookout, to be wise, to be discerning about those who claim to come in his name, those who claim to speak on his behalf. What does the fruit of their lives, and specifically, what does the fruit of their words reveal about who they really are? Is their communication marked? by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth? Or is it marked by fear, by anger, by hatred, by greed, by the need to be right? Judge a tree by its fruit. And this isn't just true of politicians or pastors or pundits. This is true for all of us that what grows on the tree reveals what the tree really is. What comes out of your mouth reveals what you really are. The caution from Jesus is to be careful, to pay attention, to closely watch the words that you speak, type, and text. Yes, in this realm of politics and all that, but in every area of life, that our words reveal much about the content of our hearts. It might be a good idea in light of this serious warning to take some time this week to read through your social media history, to read through your text threads, to read through your sent box, and to examine what do my words reveal about me? What do they reveal about my motivations, about my heart, about my allegiance, about my love, and about my loyalty? If you're really serious about it, invite a friend to help you. Have them scroll through your feed or have an honest conversation. What do my words say about me? So the core of the teaching is that if our identity is rooted in Christ, then the words that we say, the words that we type, the words that we post, text, and tweet, they will sound like Christ. They will convey his heart and his mind. Now, obviously, we all have moments. But we're talking about the big picture and the course and trajectory of our lives. Before we move on, let me note one thing. When I say that our words ought to be Christ like and that our communication ought to be marked by the fruit of the Spirit, some of us immediately assume that I'm just telling you you should be nice, that you should always speak nicely. But in the parallel passage in Matthew 12 where Jesus gives a similar teaching, listen to the, the greater context. He says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I don't know about you, but when Jesus calls people a brood of vipers, I would say he's not being very nice. when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit that is kindness, that's not the same as niceness. There is a place in Christ-like communication for clear, hard words, for confrontational words, for direct words. But they're coming from a place of love. They're coming from a place of goodness. So one of the mottos that I try to live by is from Oscar Wilde who says, a gentleman is one who never hurts anyone's feelings by accident. Because there are times to speak hard words and Jesus himself models and embodies that. But his motivation clearly isn't to tear down, it's to build up. It's not to hurt, but it's to bring healing. And so don't hear me say it's just about being polite and nice. The fruit of faithfulness would call us to speak the truth and to do it in love. And so our allegiance to Jesus, I would argue, should be evident in the way in which we speak. And if we find ourselves regularly saying things he would never say in a way he would never say them, then we need to examine our hearts and see where our first allegiance lies. I've been on an interesting journey the past several months. We all have, obviously, as the world is on fire. Um, but I've gotten a firsthand experience with some of the things that Jesus is teaching us about here. As you know, a couple months ago, back in August, Bend made national headlines when, um, just right over here, a couple thousand protesters showed up in the parking lot behind the Crane Shed Commons building. And the protest was designed to block a bus in which two local Latino men had been seized by federal ICE agents were being detained in this bus, and U.S. Border Patrol was deployed to Central Oregon, and there was an epic 12-hour standoff between the protesters and the federal agents. And ultimately, it ended late that night when the two men were removed from the bus and transported to a detention center in Tacoma. And it was a big deal for our relatively small city and created lots of conversations, both online and in real life, and... Lots of Christians and pastors were kind of arguing and debating about what we should make of this thing and what is the Christian response to an event like this. And so a few days after the protest, I wrote a letter to you guys, to the church. And my goal was to try to give you some helpful framework to approach something like that event from a biblical perspective, not just from a political perspective. And uh, so I sent the letter out, and of course not everybody liked the letter, but a bunch of you thought it was really helpful, and several of you even suggested that I submit it to the Ben Bulletin as an op-ed. Actually, it was Medell's idea uh, originally, so you can blame her for the rest of the story. And um, I've never done that kind of thing before, but I thought if this could serve the, the greater church of Central Oregon by challenging them to think Christianly, about the topic of immigration then uh, is worth a shot. So the op-ed ended up running in the bulletin and um, got all kinds of feedback from the community. But one of the most surprising emails that I got was from John Hummel, who, if you don't know, is the Deschutes County District Attorney. And D.A. Hummel appreciated what I had written in the letter. And what was even more surprising to me was that he asked if I'd be willing to work with him on an idea he had. Um, And the idea he had had to do with these four cases that he was uh, involved with here in Central Oregon. Incidents of violence or assault that had occurred either during the Black Lives Matter protests earlier in the summer or cases uh, having to do with the ICE protest. He had four cases involving violence from both sides of the issue, so to speak. And so what the DA wanted to do was figure out a way to get the people involved in these incidents to actually sit down with each other and to have a real conversation about the differences in the way that they see the world. And so D.A. Hummel asked that it, asked if I would be willing to help him create a space where that could happen. And you got to know, this is weird stuff for me. I'm a pastor. I have been for 22 years. I never have been involved with anything with law enforcement officials or politicians. So I was pretty skeptical at first, and, um, but I told him I'd be happy to come to an initial meeting. It was a Zoom meeting. And there were three or four other folks in the room, so to speak. And I introduced myself like this. I said, my name's Pete. I'm a pastor uh, here in Bend. And I guess I'm invited to this meeting because my commitment to the historic Christian faith has caused me to care deeply about the cause of justice in our world. And I told them that our church, if I had to guess, I don't know for sure, but if I had to guess, I bet about half of us would identify in a right-leaning way politically, and about half of us would identify to the left. But that even though we don't all have the same political ideologies, we as a church are committed to learning how to disagree well how to have grace-filled conversations about hard topics, and how to share life deeply with people who are different than us. And so the DA and a couple others that were on the call were pretty intrigued, and so we decided to give it a shot. So here's what's happened in the past few weeks. Um, A small team has come together, the DA, myself, uh, a psychologist, the mayor of Redmond, a venture capitalist, a native woman, an African-American activist, A Latina teacher and and me, we are creating something called the Central Oregon Decency Project. And the idea is that as a community of Central Oregonians, we're not going to agree on everything, and that's okay. But can we at least learn how to be decent to one another? Can we learn how to be good neighbors? And so here's what's happening, and it's insane. Our first event is this coming Friday. And of the four cases of violence involved in the Black Lives Matter protests or the ICE protest, all eight parties involved have agreed to be part of this conversation. And we are creating a space where each person, either the one that was assaulted or the one that did the assaulting, is going to sit across the table from the other person. And they're going to get to share a little bit about their story, where they come from, how they see the world, how they came to hold the values and beliefs that they do. And it's going to be mediated in a really intentional and deliberate way to try to create an actual environment where, of course, we're not going to change everybody's minds or agree on everything, but we're going to learn how to really see each other and listen well. And then we're going to actually open up the conversation to the other 50, 60 people on the guest list. And it's a guest list that includes Trump supporters and Black Lives Matter protesters and police officers and elected officials and evangelicals and atheists and all the other things that we could do. And we're going to create a space for all kinds of people to actually have decent discussions about things that matter. It's happening this Friday at the fairgrounds in Redmond and every single person that's coming through the door is going to be not just invited but actually required to sign what we're calling the decency pledge, which you may notice some significant overlap to our first allegiance initiative. Here's what everybody who comes in the door, whether they're Trump supporter, Black Lives Matter, atheist, evangelical, whatever, they're going to sign their name to this. In the spirit of decency, I pledge to listen to different ideas and opinions. I promise to offer respect to all people regardless of their background, race, gender, spiritual beliefs, political perspective, economic circumstances, level of education, disability, or any other factor which might be different from myself. I will avoid imposing stereotypes on others. I'm aware that we will not always agree and accept that respectful disagreement allows for growth. I understand that mistakes will happen as part of this process. I will take ownership of my mistakes. When others err, I will not shame them and will support them while they learn. I'll be fully present and listen with intention. I accept that we are all imperfect human beings striving for knowledge and understanding with our fellow imperfect human beings. Now what I think is amazing, Antioch, is our church is committed to joining with Jesus in the reconciliation of all things which is an ongoing project, an ongoing opportunity, that there are always things in me that need to be reconciled. There are always relationships in my life and in our community that need to be reconciled, and we're committed to that journey. But it's a big deal when a city or a county looks to the body of Christ and says, we want your help in teaching us how to love each other well, how to be neighbors to each other, and how to cohabitate in this community as people who live differently. It's a beautiful invitation. I don't know how it's gonna go. This is a really great pledge. We'll see on Friday it could start the Civil War again. We don't know what's gonna happen. Because this is really, really hard stuff. But what's amazing is that the body of Christ has an amazing advantage when it comes to taking the lead in some of these areas. Because though we may be right or left or somewhere in the middle, our true identity is not in our politics or our ideology or our vision for the country. Our true identity is in Christ. And so, this has been a tough season in the world, in their country, in our church. There are lots of hard conversations, and there will continue to be. I'll be right back. <laughs> Did I already do the brood of vipers thing? Okay, got that. But I want to applaud you guys for being a church that's willing to have hard conversations, who's learning how to extend the grace of Jesus to one another, learning how to share life deeply with people we would have never chosen. That is a beautiful mark of the kingdom of God that is taking root in us. And we're stumbling and we're learning as we go. But the world is watching. And they're inviting us to bring the good news of Jesus <clears throat> into a world that desperately needs it. So appreciate your prayers as we navigate this thing this weekend. We'll see what happens. I want to use just my last three minutes to give you uh, a list that I have found really helpful when it comes to engaging in fruitful dialogue with those whom we disagree Uh, The list comes from Pastor Tim Keller in his book, Center Church. And again, the idea is that we're not going to agree with everyone on everything. That's okay, but at least we can learn how to have real conversations, real exchanges of ideas. So let me give you four rules for having fruitful conversations with those with whom you disagree. And it could be politics, but this stuff could actually work in marriage or in parenting or at work or in friendships. Maybe even Facebook. I don't know. Anything's possible, though. Number one, never attribute an opinion to your opponent that they themselves do not own. Never attribute an opinion to your opponent that they themselves do not own. This is a constant temptation. When it appears that your opponent holds belief A, and in our mind that leads to belief B, but they themselves don't hold to belief B. Don't put it on them. It also applies if, you're, if the person you're talking to quotes an author you disagree with. Just because they agree with one of those authors' statements doesn't mean they agree with everything that, that person says. Number two, represent your opponent's position in its strongest form, not as a weak straw man. Represent your opponent's position in its strongest form. Here's the idea. When you are going to engage in fruitful discussion with somebody you disagree with, do the work necessary to articulate their views in such a strong and clear way that they should be able to say, Yes, that's exactly what I believe. I couldn't have said it better myself. Once you're able to articulate their view in a way that they resonate and agree with, then, pretty, then at that point, you can actually engage with ideas and not caricatures of ideas. So pretty much every meme you'll see on social media violates this rule. Number three, seek to persuade, not to antagonize, but watch your motives. Seek to persuade, not antagonize, but watch your motives. The idea is, yes, of course we want to be persuasive, but the ultimate goal isn't purely selfish in that we want to win, that we want to beat somebody and enjoy the pride of winning an argument or defending our turf or whatever it is. Our motives shouldn't be self-centered, but centered on the good of the other. And number four, stick to criticizing the ideas, not the person, because only God knows the heart. Stick to criticizing the ideas, not the person, because only God knows the heart. So it's easy to start going after somebody personally, their character, their lifestyle, their race, their ethnicity, their whatever it is, Scorn, mockery, hatred, sarcasm. Our aim is not to make the, the person we're speaking to look stupid or evil or dumb, but to truly and honestly engage their arguments and trust that God knows their hearts. I found those to be helpful. Hopefully you will as well. Um, as we close, we can work on being more fruitful in our speech. All of us can. I know I can. And Jesus invites us to position ourselves as learners, as students of his in this journey of discipleship, learning how to let his words flow through our mouths. So we can work on becoming more fruitful in our speech, but the main point of Jesus' teaching here is that our words reveal what's in our hearts. And no matter how hard an apple tree tries to grow peaches, it just never will. No matter how hard we try to produce fruitful words, if our hearts are evil or empty, our words will be too. And so the call of Christ here isn't simply to be more disciplined or controlled or skilled with our words, but instead to seek the transformation of our whole selves. Our old self, our old identity must be uprooted, and a new self must be continually planted and rooted in God. We have to become trees, connected to Christ, thriving on the life of the Holy Spirit, then and only then will our lives naturally, even effortlessly, begin to produce good fruit. So my prayer for us this morning is, Lord Jesus, take our hearts and change them. Make us more like you, for your glory and for the good of the world you love. Amen.